Sims and I'm the grandson of Ira Tucker Sr. In the studio today we're going to have a few members of the Dixie Hummingbirds and we're going to be interviewing them. And the person that's going to be interviewing them is my lovely wife Kim. <laughs> well hello. I'm, I love the lovely. Yes. Well I just want to say that it's a privilege to even be able to speak to the Dixie Hummingbirds today because I listened to the Dixie Hummingbirds as a kid with my parents. I never knew I was going to grow up to marry the grandson of the Dixie Hummingbirds. So for me, this is truly a privilege and an honor. Like some people might think, well, what's the purpose of this podcast? Why are we doing this? Well, the purpose is because in 1928, Mr. James B. Davis started this group. That was 10 years before Michael's grandfather even began. So when you think about that, there have been 90 years of men wearing the uniform. 90 years. That's amazing. So the story was told back then. It started in 1928. Here we are in 2018, and we're going to continue the story. So that's what we're here for today, to continue the story. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. Lyndon Baines Jones, it is a pleasure to have you here to talk to you about your time with the Dixie Hummingbirds. So, first, welcome. Thank you. You're Thank welcome. you, Kim, so much. It, it's a pleasure being here. Well, good. Glad. Yes, it is. You have a lot of experience with the group. And so, I want to start by asking you, how did you become a member of the Dixie Hummingbirds, and when was that? Well, back in 2000. I, um, <clears throat> Mr. Tucker was, uh, he was in, in search of, uh, a bass guitar player. Uh, he had a good friend in Philadelphia by the name of Mr. Bob Huff. Mm -hmm. And, um, I was playing lead guitar for Bob's group, the Huff Singers. Mr. Mr. Tucker and, um, and Bob was very close. And so they, uh, so they 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 did a collaboration, and uh, so they was like you know you know conversing back and forth with each other you know throughout the course of the years and whatnot. And so so uh, Mr. Tucker reached out to uh, to Bob, and he said, "Well, you know you know I I Bob I need a um, I need a bass guitarist man." And uh, I say, "Well, do you know, have anybody in mind, or do you know anybody that I could you know?" Um, talk to or whatever and so Bob said well you know my uh my guitarist you know he plays uh lead and he plays bass and so uh, what I'll do I'll put you in touch with him and uh and you guys can talk about it you know and so sure enough Mr. Huff called me he called me said well he said hey Baines um look um Mr. Tucker, you know, I I was talking with Mr. Ira Tucker from the Hummingbirds, and I say, uh, I say, oh yeah, okay, the Dixie Hummingbirds. He said, yes. Uh, he says, uh, he says he's looking for a bass guitarist, man, and uh, 
and I told him about you, and uh, and he wants to audition you. Bob told me, say, well, you know, what I'll do is I'll get back in contact with Mr. Tucker and I'll uh, call you back and, and see when he, does he want to meet with you. And so, sure enough, that afternoon, uh, Mr. Huff called me back and said, well, look, you know, uh, because uh, Mr. Huff called me Youngblood. He said, well, hey, Youngblood, say, uh, say well, uh, Mr. Tucker would like to meet you you know, um, this afternoon or late on this evening, if possible. And I was like, oh, wow, they move fast, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> and so, so, so he said, he, he asked me, say, would I be able to meet him? And I said, well, okay. Yeah. Mr. Tucker. So, um, right down, um, um, we, we met down around Ridge, Ridge Avenue and Diamond Street, mm -hmm. because during that time, Mr. Bright, Mr. Bright had a store right right in that area. Yes. And so um so we we met down there. Um I think it was like it was about five thirty or six o'clock that afternoon. And so Mr. Tucker this was on a on a Wednesday. And so so Mr. Tucker said, Well he said, Well, uh he said, Brother Jones, well would would you be able to come and um and do a rehearsal for me? tomorrow night on Thursday um, and just bring your bass guitar with you and uh, and he so he said um, he asked me could I come into the rehearsal with him I said I said yes sir I can come and do it for you and that was gonna be that Thursday that Thursday evening and so they um, they were rehearsing that Thursday evening around 6 p.m. around 6 p.m. that evening that, that next third that that Thursday evening and so, um, so I went over, and they was rehearsing at um, um, during that time. Um, James Williams, mm -hmm. James Williams, uh, they was rehearsing at his home, okay. you know, in 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 their basement and whatnot. And so, I went over to James' house that that Thursday evening. Took my bass guitar, and um, and so I got a chance to meet you know, all of the fellows in the group at that time. And so um, I knew, you know, some of the songs, a lot of the songs that the Hummingbird was singing. And so, so, but that, that particular night we, uh, we, we got into rehearsal and for some reason it was just like, everything was like, just, just clicked, you know, it, and, um, and so, and so, Mr. Tucker, he always was comical, man. He was he, he was very comical. And so, after rehearsal, he said, uh, he came over to me. He said, uh, hey, dude, he said, well, um, would you, would you consider going, going on tour with me? He said, man, I, I like, uh, I like the way you play that bass guitar. You fit right with us, you know? I says, um, yes, sir, Mr. Tucker. I said, well, uh, I would, I would love to go on tour with you. You know, when are you going? He said, tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, tomorrow? Are you serious? He said, yeah, we'll be leaving tomorrow, tomorrow afternoon, going to Monroe, Louisiana, and uh, we'll be gone for like over a month. You know. And I was like, uh, okay, wow, well, all right. <laughs> I say, well, okay, well, 
could I have uh, tonight to kind of think about it, and I'll call you first thing in the morning and let you know? He said, yeah, just take your time. I said, all right, sir. Well, uh, so my mind was like, I'm like, my mind is like clicking, like, oh, man. I was like, okay, well, uh, they say when the opportunity knocks, you got to rise to the occasion. And I was like, well, wow, okay. So I went home that night, and I was like, well, Lyndon, you know, what are you going to do? Are, are you going to you gonna take the plunge, or are you going to let the opportunity bypass you, you know? And so I say, well, you know what? I'm an optimistic person. I'm very daring. And so I say, well, okay, I'm going to take the plunge. I'm going to go. I'm going to go, and I'm going to try it. And, uh, and so I, uh, I called my family. And told my family about it that night, and I said, "Well, you know, I'm I'm gonna go and I'm gonna I'm gonna take the opportunity. Mr. Tucker wants me to go on the road with him, and so I'm gonna go, and so and see which way it, you know, which way it pans out or whatever." So, so I called him that morning. I thought about it that night, and I called him that morning. I called him that morning about about eight about eight thirty, and I said, um, "I said, Mr. Tucker, I said, uh, he said, hey." I said, uh, well, I thought about, you know, your offer. And I said, I'm going to take you up on your offer. I, I'm, I'm going to go. And uh, he said, uh, he said, and he said, he said, he said, he said, let me tell you something, son. He said, one thing I can tell you is that you won't regret it. Wow. And those was his words to me. Wow. That's what he said to me that morning. And so I uh, got my clothes packed and, uh, and so I, I, I packed, uh, you know, knowing that, you know, you're going to be gone for a month. And so, um, and sure enough, um, we, uh, they had a word that they, that they, that they normally say when, when they getting ready to leave, they say, well, we're going to pull, we're going to pull at five o'clock. Okay. That means that you got to be there and ready to go by five o'clock because, when he said we're gonna pull, that's what he meant. Pulling just out. just pulling out. Is you're gonna leave to go where you're go where you're going. And so and so and um so man and so I was like, Okay, all right, well I'll be there I'll be there at four thirty, be ready to rock. And so and sure enough, um ten minutes to five, hey, they was getting ready to close the van. Getting ready to be by five o'clock. We was heading out. And so, sure enough, we uh, we left out <clears throat> that that uh, that afternoon, heading to Monroe, Louisiana. And um, I got out. We got out on ninety five, heading heading out. And so, uh, Mr. Huff, Mr. Bob Huff, called me during that time, and he says, "Well, he says he said he said Baines, uh, did you decide to go?" I say, "I say yes, sir, Mr. Huff. I decided to go." And he says, uh, he say, well, God bless you, son. He said, I really am glad that you made that decision to go. And he said, I think it would be a good thing for you. And uh, I say, okay, uh, well, what I do, Mr. Huff, I'll keep you posted on, you know, every aspect of the tour and um, and let you know what, what happens and what transpires. And so he said, okay, he said, that will be great. And sure enough. We uh we went to uh we 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 traveled 
to Monroe, Louisiana. And we stayed in Monroe, Louisiana, and and uh, for that whole month, Mr. Tucker would we he tra- he started training all of us to um, um, for the upcoming shows that we had, you know, that was on the books, and so we would we would um, in the morning. It was just like it was your regular job. You would you would get up in the morning, and eight o'clock was your call time. Eight o'clock, you go in eight o'clock and you would rehearse eight hours for that day. You would have <clears throat> you would have like thirty minutes of uh two two um thirty minute periods where you have a thirty minute break mm-hmm. in between time. And then after after the eight hours, if you felt as though you wanted to go into overtime, if you if everybody was in, you know, in agreement with, you know, rehearsing longer than eight hours, he would do that. And so sometimes we would get into rehearsals 13, 14 hours a day wow. per day. And seriously, really. And and he would train you, he'd teach you the parts, what you wanted to, you know, what you what he wanted you to sing, what he wanted you to play. And um, and he would show you, and you would listen to the different songs and everything. And that, and uh, it was just like it was just like elementary school. It was like man, he would he would take you from the bottom floor and teach you every grade, right on up throughout the twelfth. And when and when he said that you were ready to go on the floor, you were ready. Because he would train you. I mean, he would train. He would. He would. He would grill you from start to finish. And it wasn't that he had an ear. His ear was so good. I mean, he was like, man, you could just. He could just hear. You know, he could. He could hear notes. He could hear when anything was off the least little bit. Say, for instance, you were sharp. A little sharp, you was a little flat. He could hear it. I mean, he could hear it. He just had a natural, a natural knack for it. And um, and man, it it was really, it was really just great to you know to be under his training just to just to just to sit and listen at him. You know, um, tell you how to create a song. How to create, you know, how to listen for notes, you know, how to hit your notes on point, how to listen, you know, and um, it was it was really phenomenal. And so I started out, I started out with the group playing bass guitar for the group on the on the first the first leg of the tour. And um, we was about uh, we was about halfway halfway through the tour and uh and one day one day I was um I was sitting outside and and James James Williams um which was one of the original members of the Sons of the Birds James had his guitar and um we all were sitting outside on the porch doing the break and uh, and so and so I asked James I said James let me let me hold your guitar let me play your guitar for a minute and so 
And so I, I was just sitting out on the porch, you know, just 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 playing playing around with a few things. And uh, and and uh, Enoch Webster, Enoch Webster was with us at that time. He was singing tenor for the group. And um, so Enoch come outside, and uh, and Enoch saw me playing guitar. And Enoch, because Enoch always called me Rooster, right? <laughs> and so that was his pet name for me. He said, "Hey, Rooster." He said, "Rooster, uh, man, I didn't know you played guitar." He said. How long you been playing guitar? I said, I've been playing guitar for several years, like, you know, for a while, you know. And uh, he said, can you play some of the hummingbird stuff? I said, yeah, I played, you know, I played, you know, the hummingbird stuff. So I, I started playing some of the some of the hummingbird music and everything. And so, and so Enoch went back inside and he called, he called, Enoch called Mr. Mr. Tucker Pappy. So he said, hey, Pappy. Pappy, you gotta come out here. Come out here and listen to this guy, man. This, this guy, he's playing y'all stuff. He plays guitar, Pappy. And so, so Mr. Tucker come outside, and so we was uh we was at at Reverend Moore's house in Monroe, Louisiana. We was at his house at the time, and so Mr. Tucker come outside, and, and so I was playing I was playing guitar, and so uh, Tuck looked at me. He said, he said, Hey, dude. I didn't know you could play guitar. <laughs> I said, "Yeah, Mr. T, I, I play." I cause I call him Mr. T, you know. I said, "Yeah, Mr. T, I uh, I play guitar and I play lead and I play bass, you know." So, uh, so he was like, "Joe," um, so he said, "Well, listen, um, play a couple more, play a couple more notes and a couple more songs there for me." And so I played a few things for him, and so he was like. He looked at some of the other fellas. He said, well, well, I'll be dog. He said, this boy can play guitar and he can play bass too. He said, man, I didn't know that. And so, and that's where things started to transition over. And, um, and so I played, I played bass for the group for about, I guess about a year and a half, maybe something like that. And, um, and then, by Mr. Tucker knowing that I could play guitar, he started figuring out ways to infiltrate me into playing, you know, a guitar for the group. So, so at one point, uh, a little bit later on, there, there was a gentleman named Frank Frierson. Frank Frierson was from um, from uh, from South Carolina, and so. Um, so Mr. Tucker asked Frank, he he talked he asked Bright, Mr. Bright, William Bright, he he said, Bright, um, he said that that boy you got from um uh, over in South Carolina, what's his name? And Bright said, Oh, oh yeah, Mr. T. Um his name Frank, Frank Frison, Frank Frison. And he says, uh he said, Well listen, can you can you put get him on the line and uh, you know, I I'm I'm thinking about a couple things here. And sure enough, he got uh, Bright got got in touch with Frank and 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 took talk with Frank. Took told Frank, say, listen, you know, I'd like for you to come out and join us on the tour. And uh, and so he said, I want you to play bass for us. And um, and sure enough, so Frank came. He came to Monroe, Louisiana, and and we went into more rehearsals. 
and um, and Frank started playing bass. And so this way, I could go on guitar. So Tuck wanted me to be on guitar. So what I did, I played backup guitar, you know, behind James Williams, you know. And so that's where the thing started to escalate, you know, because uh, the more that we played and we gelled together, things just started to, you know, fall into place. And Took had that ear. He knew it. Mm -hmm. And he just kept working it, kept working it, kept working it. And, and, and you know, uh, it got down to a point where, where Took actually said, well, look, he said, look, he said, Bane, he said, I want you to play lead for the group. I want you to play lead guitar for the group. And we, we're going to take it from there. And that's the way that he wanted it. And so, um, and so, but, uh, and, and so that's, that's, that's how I, you know, actually got, you know, into the group and got my foot in the door and, and he believed in me and he trusted me, you know? That's amazing. Yeah. Bange, you know, you touched on something that I wanted to make sure that the listeners knew, because I don't know if they realize that three of you, three of the current members were actually trained by Pop. And I'm sorry, listeners, Pop is Ira Tucker Sr. Mm -hmm. You'll hear him called Tuck. Yep. You'll hear him called Mr. T. You'll yep. hear many names. Yeah. But I just wanted to make sure everybody really realized that you, Tori Nettles, and Carlton Lewis were all personally trained by Pop. Yes, yes, we were. And that's amazing yeah, yeah. that he mm -hmm. that he did that. He saw something in you because yeah. based on what you just said about him and his ear and mm -hmm. what he was about, that goes to show the mm -hmm. faith that he had in each of you mm -hmm. to bring you in to the group, which I that's think right. is amazing. So I just want to make sure that all our little hummingbirdies out there mm -hmm. that are listening, that they realize yes. that you all were hand-selected. Yes, we were hand-selected by Mr. Ira Tucker Sr. Matter of fact, uh, uh, Carlton, Carlton uh, when I first met Carlton, we, was, uh, we did a show in Chicago, Illinois, and uh, Carlton come over to the hotel where we were. And and that's when I first met Carlton over in Chicago, and and we all just gelled together, and um, and and um, and so Carlton and Tuck, you know, you know, they had a, a rapport, you know, throughout down through the years, you know, because uh, Mr. Tucker recorded Carlton's mother. Then later on, Tori Nettles was from the same group that I was from. Uh, Bob Huff and the Huff Singers, the Huff Singers. Tori was playing drums and and singing and singing for for the Huff Singers as well. It was just such a pleasure, you know, to be able to be under his guidance because, you know, we as kids, you know, we all grew up listening to the Hummingbirds, you know, um, to different uh, artists and things of that nature. And so, and when and when I heard that, you know. Ira Tucker Senior wanted wanted to uh, wanted me to come to an interview for him. Yes. Are you talking about the Ira Tucker? You know, wow. I was just elated, really. I I really was, and and it was it was really an honor. And um, and you know, I'm from um, a little town down in Georgia, 
uh, called Ashburn, Georgia. Okay. And um, and so and so we we grew up on the farm, you know, um, back down in the country. And so it was like, you know, how ironic is it for a little country boy, you know, to actually come, you know, and actually be hand selected by, you know. A gospel legend, you know, Mr. Tucker, to 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 take over the lead guitar spot of Mr. Howard Carroll, you know, one of the greatest influence in gospel music, you know, guitarist that's you know that ever lived, you know what I mean? For for myself, Carlton Lewis and Tory, to be you know jailed together to that magnitude, all of that came through by way of God. You know, because it is like, you know, our paths was, you know, was guided to be connected like that. And uh, and and we all are brothers, you know, and we, you know, we 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 cut up, you know, we cut up, have fun, you know. And, uh, you know, it's it, you know, when you're out on tour, man, you know, um, Carlton and Tory, they they are they are very comical. <laughs> Well, Bays, this has been some great information that you've provided, and I thank you so much for it. Yeah. What we want to do now, I just want to wrap up by asking you this final question, mm -hmm. and that is, what would be your fondest memory of being with the Dixie Hummingbirds, whether it was in the past or even present? You know, what would you say mm -hmm. stands out in your mind about your time here? Well, what stands out in my mind where they're actually two there's a lot more than that but two that really stands out um i was um i was taking mr tucker to uh virginia one day and uh and so we were we were listening to uh we were listening to the radio um and um and and the song love your fellow man came on and uh, and i was talking to papa said i said pop hey look man uh Man, that song right there, man, you guys really did that song, Love Your Fellow Man. And um, he hadn't performed that song in a long time. And I said, I said, Pop, man, that song is beautiful, man. I said, did you ever think about bringing it back? He said, he said, he looked at me, he said, he said, son, you want to bring it back? I said, yes, sir. He said, he said, well, I'll tell you what. You play it for me, and I'll sing it. And and you know, and honestly, that was that was a moment that that really stuck with me. Is like because you know I love that song, and for him to actually say, "I will t bring that song back," because you asked for it. That just like it just touched me, man. You know, I and and um, and sure enough, the very next time we went to rehearsal. I started playing Love Your Fellow Man, and Pop sang it, and he put it in the lineup from that moment on. Really. Wow. Seriously. That that really stood out, and that, that really touched me, because Pop had such a giving heart, man. He was like, he was the type of person, man. He was like, you know, he, you know, he was, he was a perfectionist, mm -hmm. you know, and, um, and he he had so much love for people, man. You know he you know he he would call you, 
and he would call you just to care, do you know, to see about how your day was going, you know, and he, you know, it's like, wow, you know, that was just great. And, you know, I know we got to close, but, you know, the, the next thing that really stood out with me was when I went with him to New York to meet with Paul Simon. Okay. And so we went to New York and we went to Paul's, uh, we went to Paul's, uh, cause I drove him to New York. Uh, we went to Paul Simon's office. And so and when we went inside of Paul's office and just to see the closeness that he and Paul Simon had, it was just phenomenal. It's like these two, these two mega entertainers together, you know, interacting with each other, you know. And then when we did, uh, when we did the Warner Theater in Washington, D.C., with, with, and you had Paul, you had Took, and you had Stevie Wonder all in the same room, man, that was just totally, that was it. That was just it. I mean, the, you know, the things that actually happened that night was just phenomenal. Wow. And, and that, the, that's, those are memories that I will always capture and I will always keep dear to me because it was like, you know, it's just, it's just stuff that, you know, don't happen every day, you know. Surely not. Yeah. And the song, Paul Simon is the one that, won the Grammy for yeah, it. Yeah, love, right? love Me Like a Rock. Love Me Like a Rock. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which yeah. I'm happy to say that that Grammy is sitting in the Smithsonian Museum. Yes, yes it is. Which yeah. you all got to play yes. opening weekend mm -hmm. two years ago. Yes. Yeah. Which was another yeah. wonderful, monumental yeah. occasion. Mm -hmm. So I, yeah. I just thank you so much. You're absolutely for being welcome. Here and yeah. for sharing your story. Yeah. It, and. And, you know, when we were nominated for the Grammy for the, the album for Last Man Standing, that was that was a really a great, Absolutely. a great thing to, you Absolutely. know, to be able to share that with, you know, Pop shared it with us, you know, mm -hmm. and it's, it, it's, it's just stuff that you'll never forget. And see, now you get to sh continue sharing it. That's right. That's great. Yes. And we plan on doing that, continuing the legacy on. Absolutely. Yeah. I love to hear that. I mean, my husband, it's a family business yes. for us. That's mm -hmm. the way we look at and it. And that's what we want to do is just continue the legacy. We thank you. You're thank quite you welcome. so much. Absolutely. All right. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> God bless you. Thank you so much. <laughs> welcome, Troy Smith. It's great to have you here. I mean, I got the opportunity to meet you mm. when we were actually going to D.C. and you were a member of the band right. when the group was going to perform for the opening of the Smithsonian's National African American Museum, right. which was fantastic. But you came on playing keyboard, correct? That's correct. Okay, so, so tell me how you went from playing keyboard you know, with the group, and then you transitioned into becoming a full-fledged member. How did that happen? Well, we was in rehearsal. I remember we was in one of, one of the band members in his basement, and they got to get, yeah, they were singing some songs. I believe it was, uh, what song was it from the Hummingbirds? Um, it could have been Love Me Like a Rock, I'm not sure. But anyway, um, 
they got to sing it, but a, a tenor part was missing. They were trying to get Tori to do one of the tenor parts, but I think it was too high from. But since I listened to Dixie Hummingbirds all my life, I saw that tenor part, you know, from playing a the keyboard. They're like, hey, hey that, that's, that's the part right there, you know, but do that again. So I wound up playing a keyboard and wound up singing that part. And they pretty much kept me up, you know, singing the part up until this day. Wow. <laughs> so, so they said your your days of playing the keyboard are over. Now you're a full fledged member, or did it just automatically? You just knew the keyboard was done, and now it's time for you to actually just sing. Oh, I kind of felt that. I kind of felt that the keyboard days was was done. So, in my mind, I had a back plan. Uh, as a replacement keyboard player for our next engagement. Okay. They didn't know it yet, but I already had that worked out. I just knew, you know, since they started with one song, there's probably going to be other songs that they want me to sing. And I called her quick. Like I said, me and my twin, mm -hmm. we've been listening to the Hummingbirds ever since we were young. I mean, we started the, we all, we started the young quartet group at the age of 12. And our influence, our influences were the Dixie Hummingbirds and the Soulsters, nice. you know, Sam Cooke and the Soulsters. And um, this was back in 76. I think we were 12 years old, back in 76. And uh, it was me, it consisted of me, my, 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 um, my twin brother, and my two cousins. Okay. One of my cousins was, he's a bass, and his brother was a baritone. We just start singing, and my grandfather, you know, who was a, uh, a pastor, he used to have us sing at the church. And we would sing at the church, and we would do those types of songs. We'd do the Dixie Hummingbird songs, we would do the Soul Stirring songs, and so forth like that. And it was such a liking to the audience that everywhere that he ministered to, each church that he ministered to, he took us along with them. And before you know it, we started getting requests to go here and there and there and so forth. So... Um, so when opportunity became to, you know, to play, cause me knowing Baines, I, I did other groups, you know, besides my brothers and the group, but the other groups too. And this is how I got to know Baines. So when Baines had asked me, well, I'll come to one of the rehearsal cause he knew me from, uh, previous groups. I said, yeah. So I start playing for them and they liked me playing. But then when I, when they heard me catch on to one of the uh, the Hummingbird songs. I was like, yeah, okay, all right. So, you know, from there it just went on, you know. Just wow. like, so. Well, tell me from the, the DC trip a couple years ago, here you are, you've been asked to play in the band for the Dixie Hummingbirds, mm -hmm. and you've been asked to go to DC for this humongous weekend. What was that experience like for you? Uh, that was an awesome experience. Um, first of all, to be playing for the Dixie Hummingbirds was awesome. You know, these is one of the things that I dreamed about as I was young. You know, um, these are different groups that I, my father would play his records. My grandfather would play his records. And we just fell in love with them. Ira Tuck and his soaring him and James Walker, when they get together and they acrobatics of their vocals <laughs> using going back and forth and the, and the night um, the, uh, the knit harmonies between Beachy and um, 
uh, was it Beachy and uh, Howard Carroll, Bobo, and all those guys. And when they come together, at, I mean, for a kid like us, this was thrilling. So, um, so to be in that group, like I said, it was it was just um, I, it, it was an amazing experience for me. It was, it was a dream come true. So I look at myself, wow, I come a long way from here. Now I'm playing with them. Now I'm on the stage at DC and Washington and playing among people. It's like, wow, this, you know, God is good. You know, you know. And now singing. Now singing for them, right. Now singing, which is well-deserved because, I mean, for us to see you and hear you, especially the performance in October, right. you all were phenomenal. Right. So it was, it was fantastic. So mm -hmm. well-deserved. So now you went from you you played keyboard. the tenor, you you did the keyboard you sang the tenor part how did it happen that here comes Roy so for our listeners Roy is Troy's twin right we call him the Walter and Scotty of gospel <laughs> so please tell me how did Roy how did it happen that you said I have a brother who can sing or or what happened with that well that was one of our dreams too. If one of us make it, we're gonna bring the other one in. So and I think we were rehearsing for another gig after the uh uh Washington uh gig. And I we were rehearsing in one of the members basement and I said this time I'm gonna bring my brother along with me because he can play keyboards too. Mm -hmm. I was still deciding which keyboard player I was going to have. Either it was going to be my brother or another young gentleman I knew. But I knew my brother could sing, too. And I knew that I'm counting the, I'm counting the, the members that we have now. So I'm saying to myself, okay, we can use a person here. We can see a person. They don't know what I'm thinking. <laughs> so I brought my brother along, and he was at the rehearsal. He said along, he said along, William Bright. Mm -hmm. I'm on the keyboard, just playing. And they got the rehearsaling and things like that. And it was a note uh, that my brother heard. He knew the song and he's sitting right next to Bright. And he hummed the note. And Bright turned around, looks at him and said, that's, that's right. You know, Bright talking, yeah, that's it, that's it. That's the note right there, that's the note. And I'm smiling and playing the keyboard. I'm like, uh-huh, things are rolling. It's just it's at the works. So uh unfortunately, you know, uh our bright passed away. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, it was a void there. And I know that they were, you know, in search of, you know, uh, other members. Mm -hmm. And I I talked to Carlton, you know, I said, Look, you know, my brother knows this music also. I said, you know, you you search and you you know doing different things. You know, he knows how he know how to pick this note, so why not give him? So he said, okay, we we he check with the man and they set up you know the interview where he can, you know, he can um, audition. And he auditioned. He just passed it with flying colors from there. You know, he just that's the that's the note we're looking for. He got the Walker voice. He had all you know the whole the whole nine yards, and that's. How I pretty much flew from there. That's awesome. You know? yep. That is awesome. Well, what would you like to see in the future for as it relates to gospel quartet and the Dixie Hummerbird? Like if you could just 
foresee and say, this is what I'm hoping for? What would that be? Well, especially that nowadays uh, with the newer generation quartets coming up, I would like to see that uh, this set of uh, Dixie Humperbirds, we could bring back that same fervor and, and fire that the, the, the older Dixie Humperbirds had. You know, I mean, those guys were brilliant, and um, and then there's a lot of groups that still of this day cannot do that. But with this set and the talent that we have with these gentlemen here that I'm working with and the personalities, we can do that. We can bring that here. You know, I believe right now it's just hitting the surface. I believe that no, you didn't see anything yet. I love it. I love it. I agree with you, Troy, and I'm looking forward to it. Michael and I are, are in it for the long haul. This is a legacy that we're helping to preserve. Mm -hmm. And I'm just glad that you made the cut. <laughs> so thank you so much for being here. I'm like the Carson Wentz right now, the young guy here, but you see how awesome he is, right? <laughs> thank you so much. You. Lewis the third. It's great to have you here today. Like I'm really <laughs> excited that you're here to talk to us today about your time with the Dixie Hummingbirds. Grateful to be here. Grateful to be here. Thank you for having us. Absolutely. Well, tell us from the beginning. Like, how did you become a member of the group, and when was that? <laughs> well, that happened by way of me doing something my parents taught me not to do. Ear hustle. Um, I had came to Philadelphia to speak with some of the people at Mount Sinai Baptist Church because Mr. Tucker had informed me that they were looking for a pastor. And so I got my little resume together, sent it with him. He brought it back to Philadelphia. And a month went by, didn't hear from anybody. Another month went by, didn't hear from anybody. So Something just spoke to me. It was like, man, get in your car and go over there because you never know what could happen when you just get there. Just just go. Just go. So my father and his cousin, his first cousin, Ellis, um, threw me in the back of the Cadillac, and we headed, up, we headed out. Got here. Uh, Miss Tucker tried to reach some folks at the church. No dice. And so uh, we, you know, it was, it was just like a blank, blank run. But, uh, Mr. Tucker took us out to eat, my father and I, and uh, we were sitting at the table, and he was looking very concerned because his tenor singer worked on the merchant marine ship and was leaving, and he was going to be down a man, and he had these dates, and he didn't know what he was going to do for a tenor singer. And I'm ear hustling. I'm listening to him talk to Baines. Man, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And something just said, throw caution to the wind, interrupt this man's conversation, and ask the question. And I did. Mr. Tucker, yes, son? Can I take his place? <laughs> huh? I'm serious. Can I take his place? Can you sing? I, I sang a little bit. You sang tenor? I don't know. You sing baritone? Man, I don't know. Do you sing at all? I'm like, well, yeah, you know. So we went out. We went out in the parking lot, and 
I start singing the parts I could hear on the tapes of the old hummingbirds in the van. And uh, Papa's like, hmm, can you travel? I said, I got here, didn't I? And so um, from 8.30 that night to about 12.30 midnight, I was praying. And I was just like, wow, man, what if this happened? I didn't come here for this. I came here to meet with some folk about passing their church. And 1.30 that morning, phone rang. And it was Mr. Tucker. He said, you need to call home, check it out with your folks back home. Because as far as I'm concerned, you're in the group. And that was in... March. Wow, this is March, I think. Mm -hmm. That was in March of 2003. Wow. Just like that. Just like that. Ear hustling. Something I would have got spanked for, <laughs> got a ruler to the hand, a razor strap to the backside for ear hustling. <laughs> <laughs> Now, what was your, your first, like, what did he do? Like, did he start to train you? Like, how did that happen? Well, as with a lot of, you know, quartet singers, a lot of your training really comes from listening. So I would hear these, I would hear what was going on, but he, I didn't have anybody to technically break it down. And that's what he did. Uh, a lot of when you feel like you're the best, one of the best that your city has to offer, and you can't very well be because you don't know much about singing, um, you know, that kind of, that little ego has to be broken down. And one of the things that I really thank and praise God for was his, uh, Mr. Tucker's ability to work with each of us in our own respective way, at our own speed, you know. So with me, he broke me all the way down. I remember leaving rehearsal about 2, 30, 3 o'clock in the morning one night, one day, crying because Pop basically told me I couldn't sing. He didn't even know why I even picked up a microphone. and uh, But he didn't fire me. And so I called home, and I was like, Mama, Mama, Mr. Tucker, you did this, he said so-and-so. She's like, well, did he fire you? And I was like, no. Well, then shut up and listen to what the man has to teach you. He's trying to teach you something. And it like, well, okay, yeah, he is. And so he broke me all the way down and built me back up the way he wanted me to, uh, to be built. Yeah. You know, from the technical side of singing, just basic singing, we're not even talking about the idiosyncrasies of Dixie Hummingbird harmony. We're not talking about that. We're just talking about basic singing. He built me all the way up in that. And from there, I was able to kind of evolve on my own and pick up what he was doing. And I could hear the voices distinctively and things of that nature. So I really thank God for that, man. Mm -hmm. I miss him so much. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, tell me, when did you realize or did you realize that he was molding you and shaping you almost into a mini him. <laughs> and I say that because when I first heard you sing, my husband and I could not believe how much you reminded us of him with your stage presence, the way you sang, everything. So did you ever really realize that he was molding you into that? It never really dawned on me. What he 
basically instilled in us was that if every man does his job, then this group will go and it will work. So just as Lyndon's job is guitar and vocals and Tori's job is vocals and things of that nature, he put in me that idea or that mindset that you have to do what you have to do to sell this group, sell the group. You know, the group name sells itself. But when it comes down to, you know, the proof, they say the proof is in the pudding. Proof ain't in the pudding, it's in the eating. It could not taste like pudding, you know. So when it comes down to that stage, you have to do what you have to do to sell the group. And the things that I would watch him do, I would kind of find myself emulating it because, you know, it, it just looked cool. And it sounded awesome, you know. So I'm like, you know, yo, let me try this. Let me try this. And I really didn't realize it, but the day that um, I, uh, in uh, 2008, in January 2008, we were at the Keswick Theater. Uh, I'm on the road coming in for this show. And uh, I get a phone call and it's Pop. Hey, dude. I'm like, what's happening, Pop? Oh, man. Uh, just calling to tell you that I'm feeling good. I'm saying, what well, good? I'm in the hospital now. I'm like, what? So are you coming to the show? Or are they going to let you go? Or what kind of hospital visit is this? You know, uh, no, you got it tonight. And I'm like, don't worry, don't worry. You got it. You do anything that I can do. And it was like that kind of encouragement. And I'm like, who in the world gets that kind of encouragement from a gospel music icon mm -hmm. such as him? You can do anything that I can do. You know, all you got to do is just set your mind to it, pray, and uh, y'all will be successful. That's what he said. And I drove the rest of the way uh, very nervous, but very encouraged mm -hmm. that we were going to make this happen. And we and we did. Wow. So how did you feel during that show? I felt very nervous, but very encouraged that we that uh we were gonna do we were gonna do what we had to do. Did you? Did we, you do what we you took care we took care of business? Um I think it really hit home with me uh after he had of course passed away. Mm -hmm. We, uh, <clears throat> we were in a group meeting, and uh, we were told by management that all of our promoters for the next two years were wondering if they should cancel the tour or if they were going to keep it going. And everything rode on this particular performance in Avalon, New Jersey. Mm I really didn't have time to think about how much pressure that was, but hindsight being 2020, your tour for the next two whole years, that's your mortgage, food, gas, all of that stuff rides on this one show. I didn't think about it. I just went out there and the fellas and myself, we, we had fun, true enough, 
But we went out there with the understanding if we all did what we were supposed to do, if we all did what he trained us to do, what he taught us to do, you know, the rehearsals, those 12, 14-hour rehearsals, you know, all that stuff. If we just did it, put it in practice, and remember that, you know, God was with us and so was he, uh, we would be all right. And we finished that two-year tour off of that night. That's phenomenal. That's mm -hmm. phenomenal. He had an awesome teacher. Yeah, so I agree. How do you feel it's going today? Do you feel that things that you've learned from him are things that you're continuing to instill in your group members today? I feel that we are, we are right at that brink. We're right at the brink. A lot of what Pop prepared us for was not just singing, wasn't just performing, how to cut a record or whatever. He prepared us for life in the music business, life in show business, and how your fans, you know, can make or break you, what your fans have to say, uh, what they think versus what they know, sometimes are two totally different things. But you can't really worry. You worry about it, but you can't really worry about it because you got a job to do, you know. And uh, it has become more than just a job. It's a calling. It's something that all of us believe in very strong, very heavy. And when you believe in something and you love something that much, you fight for it. Anything worth having is worth fighting for. So we continue we continue in that, you know, we realize that there's going to be some folks that are mad at us because we're not them. Some folks that are mad because they're not us. You know, some folks will be mad or upset because they think that we should have uh, Lyndon on the guitar and the rhythm ace, like back in the day. Some folks will be mad because we got music now, you know. Whatever your hang-up is, you know, you're entitled to that. But when God ordains something, when he puts something together and ordains it, and he personally handpicks the people that he wants in the mix, whether you like it or not, you can't stop it. You know, and that's how I feel about this thing of ours called the Dixie Hummingbirds. Whether you like it or not, you can't stop it. All right, <laughs> you know? all right. That is correct. I love it. Well, this question I have for you, because I'm very curious, because I know that you think deeply about these things, and I want to know what, how do you see the future as it relates to Gospel Quartet and the Dixie Hummingbirds? I think that if I really, really put my mind to it, I think we will be that flagship group, not because of anything that we have done per se, but because of the foundation that was laid from Mr. Davis, Pop, Mr. Walker, Mr. Beachy, Mr. Bobo, Mr. K Mr. Howard. Those guys laid an impeccable foundation. And it wasn't so much rooted in the genre of music that they chose to sing. It was more so laid because of what we're in. We're in the music business. And the group that we have has a name that will last the test of time. Somebody 
will come to a Dixie Hummingbird concert 20 years from now and still be inspired to go back home and try some of the stuff that they saw or what they heard on the record or the CD or the MP3, you know, whatever the medium is, you know, or the live stream. You know, they'll be inspired to try that. As long as that's happening, generation, generation, year to year, we've done what we were supposed to do. You know, in the grand scheme of things, I think we'll always be that flagship group. We will always carry ourselves as members of that flagship group and as walking testaments of what Mr. Davis established in 1928. That's where I see us 20 years from now. Nice. Nice. Well, I have a final question for you. I want to know, what is your fondest memory of being with the Dixie Hummingbird, <laughs> whether past or present? But what is your fondest memory? <laughs> That's a loaded question. Why? <laughs> so, so many of them are fun. You know, I think uh, probably one of the one of the fondest memories I had was the first time we went overseas with Pop. Uh, we got in the airplane. We're going overseas. You know, we're in Newark, New Jersey, sitting on a tarmac, uh, taxiing. And uh, I'm a little nervous. I look back, Pop sitting back here. Son, you all right? Like, yeah, Pop, I'm fine, man. Okay, don't worry. It's going to be all right. We're going to be fine. We're going to be fine. I said, you know what? This is cool. This old man ain't scared of nothing. Man, I love Tuck, man. This is true. I hear some mumbling in the back. I turn around. Pop back here. God is our refuge and strength of every present every time. I said, Pop, I thought you wasn't scared. I thought is it going to be all right. I thought you wasn't scared. Man, get somewhere and sit down. Turn around. <laughs> You know, and then we got to, when we landed in Helsinki, we landed in Helsinki, I seen all these armed guards walking around with Uzis. And we walking through, the, we looked like flies in a bowl of milk. And I mean, we were just walking, walking, and they had them Uzis. They was ready for action. I'm like, oh God, they're going to kill us. They're going to shoot us. Pop, how you get us over here, man? They're going to kill us, man. He said, Son, the only reason why they would think about opening fire on us is because you won't close your mouth. Shut up and keep walking. <laughs> you know, that was, that, was, that was that trip. But I guess the biggest thing that really sticks out in my mind is, you know, when we hear the little naysayers and the little flack or whatever, I always let my mind go back to when he took us to Mr. Davis's house. He took Lyndon and myself over to Mr. Davis's house. You talking about scared? Because all my life I heard about how strict a man Mr. Davis was, how staunch he was, you know. And it wasn't like we were bad people or anything, but it's like, yo, you going to meet the man, man. This is the man. And so we sat there. Lyndon played a little bit. Me and Pop harmonized. We sung. And Mr. Davis would go back into, you know, stuff back in the day. Tuck, you remember when BJ did so and so and so and so. And it was just like a surreal trip. And he really didn't say much to us at all. 
But when we got ready to leave, he walked us to the door. And he said, well, Brad Tuck, looks like you got you some good men here. I believe that they're going to work for us. And when he said us, I was like, wow, we have that, you know, he's in on this. And he approves us. Wow, Mr. Davis, the guy that started it all, said we were all right. You know, that's like, that was like the Eagles winning the Super Bowl to me. Hey, sounds <laughs> you know? good. So, but that's, those are my two fondest memories. Those are great memories. Those are great memories. And since this is a continuation of the Dixie Hummingbird story, there will be more to come. Oh, you will add to it. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. We appreciate it, and we look forward to the next time. All right. Thank you. God bless you. Wow. Today was amazing. What a pleasure to really get the opportunity to interview some of the hummingbirds. I hope you all enjoyed it as much as I did. I really learned a lot. Stay tuned though, because we still have some hummingbirds to hear from. We need to hear from Tori Nettles, Ira Tucker Jr., and Roy Smith. So those are coming, so just stay tuned for that. And if you haven't done so already, please go out to YouTube and subscribe to our channel. Also, if you haven't done so, please go to Facebook and join our Facebook page. We would really, really appreciate it. And any comments or questions that you may have that you want to ask any of the hummingbirds or even myself, please contact us at thedixiehb at gmail.com. That's T-H-E-D-I-X-I-E-H-B at gmail.com. Thedixiehb at gmail.com. We look forward to seeing you next time. But until then, hummingbirdies, bye. Oh, <laughs>